You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Uh, well, this Sunday night, the Philadelphia Eagles, the 0-2-1 Philadelphia Eagles, continue their disappointing season so far. We'll try to turn it around against a banged-up San Francisco 49ers team that is 2-1 and went on a rampage, even as shorthanded as they are against the New York Giants last week. So we're going to talk about uh, this week's upcoming matchup. Uh, we'll go over the uh, injury report as I'm recording this here on Friday night. So uh, one very, very key Philadelphia Eagles starter on offense will not be uh, taking the field on Sunday night, joining the rest of his cohorts who will not be on the field and uh, leaving Carson Wentz extremely shorthanded in terms of skill position players with which to work on Sunday night. But also, Doug Peterson made some comments at the end of the week that I wanted to touch on, too, about the identity of this offense. So I'm going to get into that coming up here in just a few minutes, and also I will give you a prediction uh, for and I, hey, you you I'm sure are waiting for the prediction. Uh, I'm 0-3 this season picking Eagles games, so you're undoubtedly on pins and needles waiting for me to tell you who I think is going to win on Sunday night. Well, joining me to help preview this weekend's game between the Eagles and 49ers out in San Francisco is Kyle Posey, writer for the SB Nation 49ers site, Niners Nation. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at KP underscore show. Kyle, welcome to Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this Sunday. Absolutely. I'm sure you are. And um, I, I wish I was as looking forward to it. I mean, hey, the Eagles game, you only get 16 of them a year, but uh, the 49ers obviously defending NFC champs and uh, you guys are playing pretty well. Big win uh, last week against the Giants, 36 to nine with uh, basically the entire team injured. Uh, before we jump into things, I know you also do a bunch of podcasts. Uh, do you have any uh, podcasts that you want to plug? So, I mean, I host a probably unfair podcast with a name that might be familiar to you and your listeners, Michael Kiss. Uh -huh. And we do that every week where we are kind of just breaking down the games that happen during the X and O's from an X and O's standpoint. But we also try to be, to give it to you straight, where we're kind of making fun of your teams. And this last week, we had some fun with a guy that also you're familiar with, Nate Gary. <laughs> oh, well, you're, you're preaching to the choir with the, with the Nate Gary mocking. I mean, absolutely is... I'm I'm terrified of the play action RPO game with Nate Gary this week. It's just it's terrifying, and you know I think I know the uh, Kiston Solak and and I and, and pretty much you know every Eagles fan who has watched this team in the last two decades know that you need maybe linebackers aren't the the number one priority for a defensive coordinator, but you gotta have somebody, don't you? I mean you can't you can't just have no one at the linebacker position. And Jim Schwartz just seems to think, eh, Nate Gary is our number one. That's fine. And I just it's beyond me. Yeah, I'm in, the, I'm in the thought process that linebackers don't really matter unless they're really, really good or really, really bad. Yeah, there and you go. in situations that we've seen, especially when teams face a Kyle Shanahan-led offense, he will put those linebackers under a microscope and really just kind of humiliate them all game. So 
Um, well, it's going to be tough sledding, I imagine. Yeah, I want to get into that more here in, in just a minute. But first, uh, I want to do. I do want to start off with Kyle Shanahan just in general because you know there are some teams where you can sit, you can look at them and say, "Man, the, the the there's such a great quarterback. You just you know that the quarterback is kind of running that team, or you know that you know the defense is so unbelievably strong." I think the 49ers identity, at least from, from, from my perspective, is Kyle Shanahan. It is, it is the head coach. Like, that team is successful because Kyle Shanahan is, is making things happen, especially offensively, the way his, with his play designs and, and how he's able to scheme things up to take advantage of, uh, of the RPOs and the play action pass and the, and the run game and all that. My question to you about Kyle, Kyle Shanahan is simple. How good is he? Yeah, he's as good as it gets. You're not going to find a better just play caller person that puts his offensive players in a position to succeed. And a lot of people don't do that. You don't have to run, you know, a billion different plays. You don't have to have all these fancy formations. You just need to put your guys in position to succeed. And he does a really good job of that where he'll use a lot of motion before the snap to kind of, to let the quarterback know what the defense is trying to do. And then they have, they usually come to the line of scrimmage with two plays. So he's going to have a situation or he's going to have a play ready for whatever the defense does. And it makes life so much easier on the quarterback. That's what it reminded me of. It reminds me of like 2017 when, when the Eagles had that great season, especially when Nick Foles took over in the playoffs, how it just seems so simple. They were doing RPOs, you know, making, seeing Zach Gertz get open, working the guys underneath and then taking the occasional deep shot with, with play action. But it just seems so simple. And that's the thing you see about Shanahan's offense is it seems so simple, and yet defenses have such a hard time with it. What is it about what Shanahan is doing that is so befuddling to defensive coordinators? As you said, it's, it's not like he's doing – he's not reinventing the wheel by any means. So uh, what, they did, what they did against the Giants last week was – so the, the 49ers are known to be like a wide zone running team, so they try to get to the edge on these running games. So what they do is with their RPOs, they will – right out the play fake, have a little play action, RPO type game. And then there will be like a backside slant. And the linebackers come crashing up because they have to fall for that. They have to react to that run action. And then there's nobody there to guard the backside of the field. So they do that. And they also, now that they have speed with Brandon Ayuk, hmm. they can use play action where they'll just clear out one side of the field and then it'll turn into a foot race with Ayuk in the cornerback. So um, it's it's really pitch and catch, and it's as I mentioned, it's not really reinventing the wheel. He's just putting his guys in space and giving them, putting, allowing them to have a chance to beat their man one on one. And I was reading some of the stuff you wrote for Niners Nation this week, and you wrote about one specific play uh, called uh, it's RPO Dart, right? Where um, they they're able to kind of uh, look at the quarterback looks for the um, the backside uh, the weak side linebacker to see if he's creeping up or if he's staying back, and it's just an easy pitch and catch when when that guy's caught in no man's land. Yeah, it's rough. There's because there's nothing that really he can do. Like he can be right and still be yeah. wrong, and that's what makes these <laughs> these offenses so tough. Like it sucks playing defense in the NFL today because there's not a lot you can do, and if you're not good, really going to run man coverage, you're you're setting yourself up for failure. Let's talk about the quarterback a little bit because you, uh, it looks like Jimmy Garoppolo will not be the starter on Sunday, which means Nick Mullins is going to get another start. He was really good last week against the Giants, uh, 25 of 36 for 343 and a touchdown. How much of a drop-off, if any, is there between the two quarterbacks? So there is a drop-off, and I, I want to be fair to Jimmy Garoppolo. So he does move a little bit better in the pocket as Nick Mullins does. He's not as much of a statue as Mullins is, and that will probably that might come back to haunt them against a defensive line like Philadelphia. But Mullins does a really good job of processing, so he gets rid of the ball quick and probably quicker than Garoppolo does, and that's not me saying he has a quicker release, which some fans will confuse, but he just seems to process the plays a, a step quicker 
And I think one other thing that the difference is, is Garoppolo has a little bit better arm than Mullen, so he can push the ball down the field. So if the Eagles can, like, condense the field and make Mullen beat them outside the numbers and deep, that's probably their best shot. I, I saw, I've been watching highlights of some of the Niners games this year. I haven't really taken a, a long in-depth look at all of the games that they've played, but um, I was, so I was surprised to, to, to see that the San Francisco offensive line has been struggling as much as it has. Obviously they came into the season. That's, that's perceived to be a real strength. The running game is perceived to be a real strength and, and both have struggled this season. What's going on there? Yeah, they've struggled big time. And that's pretty surprising because when you're used to watching a Kyle Shanahan offense, you're used to seeing them being able to run over people, run through people, yeah. run right around people. And that really hasn't happened at all. So it's really tough to figure that out. I asked actually, I asked Kyle Shanahan yesterday what's going on. And he said he attributed it because the Giants were loading up the box. They had a bunch of big, big linemen in the box and that forced the, the 49ers to throw the ball instead. But Guys are missing blocks, and it's not just one guy either. That's pretty concerning. So even Trent Williams, who's like a superstar, he's been missing a ton of blocks. Everybody across the line has, and they're not really on the same page. I'm not sure what's going on, but every, every metric for offensive lines, they're near the bottom. Like they're, they're 31st in adjusted line yards for football outsiders, which that's not the case for a Shanahan-led offense at all. So I know that they're working hard and they're trying to figure out what's going on, but I don't know that there is one answer other than so the, to give the Giants and Jets credit, like the one thing they are good at is stopping the run. Mm-hmm. That's no excuse to – they had two running backs last week have double-digit carries, and they didn't have over 20 rushing yards apiece. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's pretty tough. Well, and the 49ers also, they don't have Tevin Coleman. Uh, he's on IR. Um, Raheem Mostert uh, didn't play against the Giants last week. Uh, any idea on whether or not he'll be ready to go this Sunday? So he didn't practice on Wednesday. We're going to find out if he practiced today. They don't practice until a couple more hours, but – Right. Um, it, he'll likely be a game time decision. I, so he also missed last week. He, he was hurt, but he mm-hmm. also had a schedule. So he, he was in Cleveland because his wife was giving birth. So okay. he was going to game no matter what. And this was always going to be the question because I think it was a grade one. So he's only going to, he was only scheduled to miss one or two weeks, which is nice. But I imagine most of it would be more of a game time decision. So they, they can definitely use him. There's no doubt about that. Brandon Ayuk is a guy you mentioned just a second ago, and he's a guy a lot of people had uh, around where the Eagles were going to pick in the first round um, last uh, last April in the draft. And uh, I know a number of people thought he would have been a really good fit here in Philadelphia. The Eagles obviously went a different way and going on and getting Jalen Rager. And unfortunately, the injury bug, which has, I know, crippled the Niners, has crippled the Eagles as well. Uh, the, the Eagles had one healthy wide receiver in practice today on the 53-man roster. So it's just a war of attrition for both these teams right now. But um, – how has Ayuk looked in the early going? Because I'm always fascinated by the road not taken. Yeah, so he was hurt. He hurt himself actually in training camp, which caused him to miss three weeks to a month. And he actually missed the first game of the season when he went out there against the Jets during week two. He kind of looked like a deer in headlights. He was a little confused. He wasn't mm-hmm. lining up right. And he just looked like a rookie. And last week, it seemed like even through the first half, Mullins targeted him three times and they never hit on those three targets. But Thing, things seemed to slow down as the game went on. And that's when they started to get him involved in those RPOs and those play actions. And they did a nice job of handing him the ball as well. So just to get him the ball and, hey, go do something. Go make a guy miss. And he did a nice job of that. So he, he looked a lot better as the game went on. And I imagine just the more comfortable he gets, the more reps he gets, he'll start to look more and more like a first-rounder. He's an obvious athlete. He does a really good job of making guys miss. It's just about the game slowing down for him. When the Niners have the ball, what is one key matchup that you think is probably the most important on Sunday? Yeah, it's going to be – well, nobody can block Fletcher Clark, 
Fletcher Cox. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be really about how much they can minimize the defensive line's pressure. Because I think Josh Sweat is just balling right now. He's playing very well. Mm -hmm. And the 40, as you mentioned, the 49ers have not been able to block pretty much anybody. And it's not as if, so they did play Chandler Jones the first week, but it's not as if the Jets or the Giants have these superstar rushers. And I would say Sweat is better than any of the edge rushers that they played in the last two weeks. And obviously Cox is as good as anybody in the NFL. And it's not just those two players. So I, I do think the the defensive line up front, they're going to have to do everything they can to minimize the pressure because if the 49ers are able to slow them down and get to the secondary then, or not not even the secondary, I'd say just the back seven in general, then they'll be able to have plenty of success. Yeah, the defensive line is an enigma for, for Eagles fans because there are some weeks where they put up eight sacks like they did last week, and then they'll go weeks where they're really quiet, uh, especially Brandon Graham. And Josh Sweat does look like a much improved player this year. There's no doubt about that. But guys like Derek Barnett are largely quiet for, for large stretches of the season. And they've dumped so much money into the defensive tackle position. I think they have they count for like $55 million of the cap next year uh, with Javon Hargrave, Malik Jackson, and Fletcher Cox. You, you, you expect them to dominate some games for as much money as they're, as they're pumping into that position. So uh, I know as Eagles fans, we're, we're hopeful that they are able to you know, execute and, and get to the quarterback a little bit. But last year, I mean, they really struggled. They had a 10-sack game against the Jets, and then – I think maybe another 17 the rest of the year. So it's just, just one, of those, one of those things with this defensive line. It seems to be feast or famine. Um, I do want to flip the ball now, and I want to talk, obviously, about Carson Wentz because he's the focal point of this team right now. Outside of Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman, he's obviously the one player everybody's talking about, and everybody has an opinion about Carson Wentz in the NFL. So I wanted to get yours. What do you think? What is going on with Carson Wentz? And uh, do you think this is just a temporary aberration, or is, is he slipping in terms of his status as a top quarterback in this league? So I know every summer, every offseason, there's always these arguments of wins first Dak, wins yeah. first Dak, who is better, who is better. I think this year, what we're seeing through these first few games here is that Wentz, I don't, I don't know if there's a better way to describe it or just to like simply put it, he looks broken. Like something That's exactly is how I phrased it, man. I just, I said the same thing. I, I said, I think 2017 broke him in some ways because you're right. That's exactly what he looks like. He's not scanning the field. He's not really seeing defenders, which is troublesome. Like he's throwing the ball right to guys. He's late. He's behind. So, like he's always a step low, or, or sorry, a step just late on these throws and just a tick late, a tick behind the receivers. And I don't, I don't know if that's due to not practicing with guys since there are so many injuries, but it's not as if um, he's, he's doing that to like the Greg Wards. It's happening to like Deshaun Jackson and like the guys he's used to throwing to. So. Um, the, I guess in his favor, the 49ers don't do a lot to disguise coverages. So, like, there shouldn't be any issues for him on Sunday. It's just a matter of he's just not executing. And there's no real way to make an excuse for him because he's not playing like a Carson Wentz type of player should play. I've, I've, I haven't been making excuses for him because in a fifth-year quarterback, you've got to do better. But I, I'm, right. certainly, I'm certainly a member of the Carson, you know, the Carson hype train. I, I, I was very much in the Carson over Foles camp uh, when, that, when that conversation was going on. And I think that was still the right decision. I guess my, sure. my yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's pretty much proven itself out here by this point. But nevertheless, Carson Wentz, if you're talking Carson versus Dak, I was always Carson over Dak. Dak's playing better, but Dak's the better quarterback right now. There's no other way you can look at it. And I guess the question is, 
as a as a 49ers fan, as a with a defense coming coming into this game against the Eagles, what are the what are the chances you feel that Carson bounces back? Could this could he have a bounce back game? Is he too, is is the rest of the team too banged up in order for that to happen? Or, you know, how, what's the worry level of Carson Wentz rising from the grave and reaching his hand out and <laughs> taking hold of a game that he probably shouldn't win? So over the summer, I usually break down the games, and I said Wentz is capable of having, like, these MVP games, not just mm-hmm. moments. Like, he'll just kind of, for lack of better words, black out and play out of his mind where he looks <laughs> like a superstar. But yeah. he does that enough where it's easy to keep believing in him. But we haven't seen that yet. And because we haven't seen that, and just the way he's been trending, the way he's been playing, it's difficult to believe that that is going to happen. The Eagles have really struggled on offense just as a whole. So, like, I just wrote – just comparing the odds and some of their numbers this year. So they're 28th in yards per drive, 29th in points per drive, 28th in drive success rate, 29th in EPA per play, and 21st in the red zone, to just scoring touchdowns in the red zone. They're, they're struggling in every aspect besides third downs. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it has to be worrisome for anybody. So as I mentioned, it shouldn't be difficult because the 49ers, they're not going to run all these trap coverages. They're not going to send the house, but Again, for a young quarterback, especially – I know he's in his fifth year, but Wentz is playing like a young quarterback. And yeah. when you play like that, I'd imagine we see um, Robert Sala, who's the 49ers defensive coordinator, continue to attack. And he's done a really good job of that the last couple of weeks. So when you have a young quarterback, there's no real reason not to blitz him, not to put him under pressure. So I imagine we see some of that. What's your opinion of Doug Peterson as a head coach right now? I mean, because there's – I think the, one of the disconcerting things about this season has been – I, I felt like we knew who Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz were, and that's all been flipped on its head. I, I, we're having questions about Doug Peterson's aggressiveness. That was one of his calling cards. He wrote a book about it, for crying out loud, and uh, that seems to have changed drastically over uh, the last uh, year or so. And uh, with, with Carson, obviously, it, he looks like a different player. But specifically about, about Doug, there are, there are some concerns. There are some whispers that if this team goes 4-11-1 or something like that, that Doug could be in trouble. It makes some sense, I think, given all of the different offensive minds they brought into the into the organization and the fact that uh, basically Jeffrey Lurie fired his offensive coordinator last year after Peterson had said they weren't going anywhere. What is your sense, again, as an outsider, of, of Doug Peterson and, and his status in the league as a top coach? So I wonder how much Frank Reich had to do with their success because he looks great now yeah. and they look great when he was there or not. I don't know if great's the right word, but they, they look like they knew they had a plan. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Peterson's riding these Super Bowl coattails and he was, he was lauded as this aggressive play caller and this, you know, this mastermind, but we're not seeing that. We haven't seen it in a while and eventually you have to adapt and we're not seeing Peterson adapt at all. So I know he brought in Rick Scangarella, who, who actually used to be with 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, right. but we're not really seeing the 49ers principles. There's a little bit of motion, but nowhere near to the same capacity that happens in San Francisco. So I don't know what is going on with Peterson, but he needs to learn how to adapt quick or else he's going to be out of here sooner than later. I wanted to ask you about Scangarello really quick because we don't know a whole lot about him. We know that in his one year as an offensive coordinator at Denver, they, he was – had one of the worst offenses in the NFL, and yet the Eagles were, were quick to snap him up simply because he had a relationship. He worked with Kyle Shanahan, so it's basically it was kind of like the Sean McVay disease. Everybody wanted anybody that came within breathing distance of Sean McVay, kind of the same thing with Kyle Shanahan. With, with Scangarello, what kind, of a, what kind of an offensive coach is he? Is, is he someone that is, has a ton of influence, do you think, and, and deserves to have that influence? 
So not with the 49ers. He wasn't. So that was kind of surprising. I, and I imagine, you know, Kyle Shanahan kind of co-signed for him and gave him, you know, great reviews. But with the 49ers, they have their run game and pass game coordinator set. He was just a quarterback coach. And I imagine, I believe that was the same case in Denver because they had Gary Kubiak. So while there might be little suggestions here and there, he was never like, quote unquote, the guy. He wasn't getting these, giving these ideas and Shanahan and Mike McDaniel and Michael Fuller, who are their past run game coordinators. They're not taking ideas from him. They already had their plan set. So I think, uh, I think the Eagles might have been hoodwinked. here. <laughs> <laughs> that was my worry, too. I, I always, I always kind of glance to the side when I see well, they've just hired somebody who's been a year someplace, just one year someplace, and were fired after one year, and you know, the numbers didn't look too good. It's, why are we in such a rush to go out and get this person? But, you know, I figure, I figure there's got to be a method to the madness, but uh, maybe not based on what we've seen so far here in the early going. So um, I asked you this question about the Niners offense. Let's ask about the 49ers defense. What do you think is a key matchup when the Niners are on defense uh, to watch for here on Sunday? So I would imagine, as I mentioned, to be aggressive. So just get after wins. And I do think the Eagles run game can have some success against the 49ers because while they have been fine, they are giving up a couple big plays. And I know that the Eagles are capable of doing that. So that would be like the one area I'd be concerned considering the Eagles are going to go into this game with maybe a half receiver healthy, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, but th that would be the one area that I'd be worried about. And I'm not sure if they have much of a threat through the air to running backs because the 49ers back seven, they are solid and they are smart and they don't really make mistakes. They are sound, which makes them such a dangerous defense. But on the ground, that's how you beat this defense. That's how you beat this defense. You got to have some bigger plays and you also have to get ahead of the chains. Once you get to like third and eight, third and seven, that's just, you're, you don't have much of a shot. I know the Eagles said that they were going to try and simplify things for Carson Wentz this week, give him fewer pre-snap reads, uh, just try and get him to think of one thing or maybe two things when he gets up to the line of scrimmage. And I'm, I'm, you know, fingers crossed that maybe he, if he can get him, get himself out of his own head a little bit. It seems like a lot of his mistakes come from looking at, looking at the defense pre-snap and knowing where he wants to go with the ball right from the time the ball is snapped instead of adjusting. And uh, is that something you've seen as well? Yeah, it is. And it, it just doesn't seem like he's comfortable reading the field, too, which yeah. is another big problem, which would explain why they want to make things simple for him. Just because when you have to use it, when you have to come off your read, there's no quarterback's going to be like the, the best at it. Right. Everybody struggles to do that. It's just a matter of how quickly you can adapt. And that hasn't happened to Wentz. But as I mentioned, the 49ers, like they will jump the routes, like especially their linebackers, they will undercut these routes. So Wentz is going to have to be careful going over the middle of the field if, if he's going to be staring down targets. All right, last question for you. The Niners are a seven-point favorite at home. It's a pretty pretty fair line, I think. Uh, what's your call for the game on Sunday? So I was going back and forth between 23-17, 24-17. So that's – I mean, Vegas is good for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm yeah. not sure if they cover. It'll be close. I do think that they win. It'll be six or seven. Uh, I think the difference here will be – I think we do see another Carson Wentz turnover. But I think it'll be one of those sloppy or ugly games because it look it looks more and more like Nick Mullins is going to start because Jimmy Garoppolo, they just took the field and he was not out there for practice today. Okay. 
All right. Well, we'll look for the uh, Niners backup quarterback who had a real good week last week against the Giants. And uh, we'll see exactly who else is able to make it onto the field for both these teams on Sunday night, because both these teams are fielding a mash unit at the moment. Uh, To keep an eye on everything going on with the 49ers, make sure that you are reading NinersNation.com, the SB Nation 49ers site every day. Make sure you're checking out Kyle Posey on Twitter at KP underscore show and listen to his podcast as well. Kyle, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I will step away and take a quick break. When we come back, one key Eagles player that we talked about just a few minutes ago is going to be out on Sunday night and some Doug Peterson comments about the identity of his offense. I want to get into all that coming up next on Eye on the Enemy. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, Trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So Deshaun Jackson, after failing to practice all week, will not play for the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night football against the 49ers. His hamstring is just not good enough to go. And so Deshaun will be held out of the game. And now that means Carson Wentz will not have Deshaun Jackson to throw to. He will not have Jalen Rager to throw to. Alshon Jeffrey is not ready to come back just yet. There will be no J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, although, again, even if J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was on the field, would you actually notice? No Dallas Goddard, so say goodbye to the 12 personnel. The receivers, the wide receivers that Carson Wentz will likely have to throw to on Sunday night in a nationally televised football game, Greg Ward... John Hightower, 
and Deontay Burnett. And heaven help us if one of those guys get hurt. I mean, this this is the risk that the Eagles ran by not going after the wide receiver position more aggressively in free agency or with a trade. I mean, you could have the Eagles could have spent trade capital on DeAndre Hopkins and not used that trade capital on a guy like Darius Slay this offseason. Now, Darius Slay has been very good, but Darius Slay feels like kind of a luxury at this point. Although I guess if you don't have Darius Slay, it doesn't quite feel like a luxury. So, uh, you know, here the the problem is that. You know, you can always look back in 2020 hindsight and say the Eagles should have done this, the Eagles should have done that. But we we know that the Eagles didn't do enough to address the wide receiver position in the offseason. Drafting a few guys, a bunch of rookies, is is not is not addressing the situation. And last offseason, he decided that he wanted to give Deshaun Jackson another go as as their top guy and and bring in Jalen Rager. You know, they, we knew they were going to draft a wide receiver in the first round, and it was going to be a speed receiver. It was going to be some kind of playmaker. But And it's unfortunate Jalen Rager got injured. I mean, it's just the, the injuries on this team are unbelievable. But they should have gone after some kind of veteran in free agency. Robbie Anderson with the Carolina Panthers is off to a fantastic start this year, and he signed a two-year $20 million deal in the offseason. According to Pro Football Focus, he ranks fourth in the NFL in yards after catch, and he's also tied with DeAndre Hopkins for the sixth most yards per route run. According to the PFF piece uh, on uh, on Robbie Anderson, so they say so far in 2020, his average depth of target is down to 9.7 yards, which is almost seven full yards lower than his 2018 and 2019 average. But on the other hand, he's fourth in the NFL in yards after the catch, with 131 yards on 24 targets through three games. His yards per route run of 2.6 is tied for sixth in the NFL with DeAndre Hopkins among all wide receivers with at least 50 snaps. I mean, dude's off to a real good start. Robbie Anderson would look really good in a Philadelphia Eagles uniform right now. Now, one of the guys that I was stumping for, Brashad Perryman, has also battled injuries this year. He's only played in two games. He's not expected to play uh, in week four. But, I mean, he's got Sam Darnold and a horrible Jets team around him. Now, Listen, the Eagles are probably not a whole lot better than the Jets at this point. But in week one, he only had three catches on five targets for 17 yards. Uh, on, in week two against the 49ers, he only had two targets, caught both of them, but for just 12 yards. So Brashad Perryman has not gotten off to a good start. And then Emmanuel Sanders with the New Orleans Saints had a pretty good week last week, five catches for 56 yards and a touchdown. He also scored a touchdown in the opening week uh, loss to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but just uh, three receptions on five targets in that game for 15 yards uh, on September 21st in week two. Just one catch on three targets for 18 yards. So Emmanuel Sanders uh, has not proven to be the boon to New Orleans offense that they were hoping he would be. But either one of those guys, having any one of those guys would give this team a little bit of a lift as opposed to uh, Deontay Burnett. And, and you know, maybe maybe Deontay Burnett and, and John Hightower and Greg Ward surprise us on Sunday night. That's certainly... Not crazy to think that that could happen, but against a really good 49ers football team, that's not the way you want to go into a Sunday night game is is lining up with Greg Ward, John Hightower, and Deontay Burnett as your as your three wide as your three wide receivers with Zach Ertz at tight end. Thankfully, Miles Sanders says he's 100% and that he's a full go because they are going to need his playmaking ability both as a runner and a receiver. I think you're going to be looking at a heavy dose of Miles Sanders this Sunday night against the 49ers. But that that takes us to something interesting. And I think that this is if you're looking for for reasons why Carson Wentz might be struggling, if you're looking for reasons why the offense just doesn't look right, 
it's because we've talked about it before. They don't seem to have a real identity. I mentioned this with Kyle just a few minutes ago, that they don't seem to have a, a real identity. After my conversation with Kyle, Doug Peterson held a news conference, and he was asked about the, the offense's identity. He was asked to, how he would define the identity of his offense. And BLG wrote a piece on Bleeding Green Nation where he uh, recapped re recap this a little bit. And he noted that there was about a four-second pause and then a sigh from Coach Peterson. And then listen to the word soup that came out of Doug Peterson's mouth here. Quote, I would define the identity as using the strength. Number one, you've, you've got to go off the strength, I think, of your quarterback, right? And then you build your plans around that. So obviously the identity, you want to be able to run the football, play action pass, the QB movements, and then, as Les Bowen mentioned, the screens. You've got to mix in the screens effectively in your system. And you want to be physical up front. That goes without saying. You want to be dominant there, control the line of scrimmage and all that. And that's where the run game comes in. But I think you're seeing that. You've seen the identity a little bit kind of rear its head up in these games. But then it goes back down because we haven't been as successful on first down. Been in too many second and long and third and long situations, which gets you out of who you are a little bit as an offense. So those are the things that we have to focus on. Continue to work at that. Go into each game with that mindset and that confidence level. What? So that is like six different identities all wrapped in one. What, what are we... What, what are we an RPO team? Are we are we a Kyle Shanahan wannabe team? I mean, do we have our own identity or are we trying to rip off an, someone else's identity? Uh, are we a West Coast offense? Are we going to be a zone running team? Are, are we going to be, you know, what are we? What are we? And this was this is part of the problem with bringing in not just a new offensive coordinator, but four new offensive coaches. Carson's mind, I'm sure, is a muddled mess right now. And that was one of the things that, that Doug said he wanted to do was declutter Carson's mind. That, that basically tells you that right now there's a lot of clutter going on with this offense. And it is not helped by the injury situation. There's no doubt about the fact that it is not helped by the injury situation at all. No Deshaun, no Jalen, no Alshon, no Jaw, no Dallas Goddard. That's just a tremendous talent drain that Carson Wentz is going to have to deal with, that Doug Peterson and the rest of the offensive mind-melding uh, mind crew has to deal with here. But they got to deal with it. This is the hand they've been dealt, and other teams have, been, have dealt with injuries and not looked quite this bad. And there's no doubt, of, and please hear me. Please hear me. No one, no one involved in Bleeding Green Nation, at least as far as I know, myself specifically, I'll talk about myself, is absolving Carson Wentz of blame. Because there have been throws that he has just missed. He is one of the he he is among the worst rated passers with a clean pocket so far this year, with catchable with with uh, uh, passes which are deemed catchable with an ex, with a with a high expected completion percentage. He's completing the fewest percentage of them than any quarterback in football. You don't become the lowest rated quarterback in football and not have some of it be your fault. There's no doubt about the fact that Carson Wentz is messed up. His mind is all messed up. And trying to untangle why, you get a sense here from Doug Peterson what part of the problem is. I read to you the injuries. Of course the injuries are a problem. I don't know how anyone can expect Carson Wentz to have a great game this week with Greg Ward, John Hightower, and Deontay Burnett as his top three wide receivers unless the Eagles are going to feature Miles Sanders, unless the offensive line is going to open holes for Miles Sanders, unless those guys are going to block for Carson Wentz, unless Zach Ertz is going to have a big game 
and they're able to make some things happen for Carson Wentz. And maybe decluttering things will help. Making the offense simpler. Taking away some pre-snap stuff from Carson Wentz. Simplifying the game plan seems to be the method of uh, uh, seems to be the method of choice here for the Eagles on Sunday night. It's because you just you you're going to have to simplify it based on your personnel and they've got to come up with some kind of an identity. They've got to figure out what they're good at. Yes, I agree with Doug Peterson that when you're not good on first down, it puts you into some tricky second second and long and third and longs. And you've got to extend the field a little bit. You've got to force things a little bit more. I do get it. You can't run the ball on second and long. I really do understand that. You when you when you run the ball on first and first and ten and you only get two yards, it's really hard to run the ball again on second and eight. But maybe with these wide receivers, you just have to bite the bullet and and try that a little bit just just to keep teams off balance just to get your play action working because what i think this team wants to be is a Kyle Shanahan like offense but you've got to have the offensive line to pull that off you've got to have the running game to pull that off and you've got to scheme things up here and this team has not schemed things up well in the last few years they just have the, the play designs have not been what they once were and maybe that maybe we we owe we need to give Frank Reich more credit than we had been giving him maybe Doug Peterson has gotten too much of the credit maybe maybe they both did the an, an equal amount of the work and it was just such a great collaboration and partnership that it just worked beautifully that's not necessarily Doug's fault that Frank left and Frank wasn't the brains behind the operation necessarily, so to speak, but that it was just such a good collaboration between the two of them and Carson Wentz. And then later on, Nick Foles. I mean, we, we heard what Nick Foles said this week about Frank Reich was the one who discovered him and discovered what he was good at in his talents and really helped to, to shape that late season run. Maybe that's all true, but that wasn't done without Doug. I mean, Doug was a part of that for sure. And I'm, I'm still not ready to bail on Doug. I'm not ready to bail on Carson. I don't think this year is looking good. I don't think that they're on a path to success here. I think this is an ugly looking year. This looks like a big, a big take step, take a step back here. the The problem with this team, the, they're not even the biggest culprits. I mean, Howie Roseman is the is the biggest reason why this team has failed. Because you have Deshaun Jackson here, who has been completely unproductive in his two seasons in Philadelphia since coming back. In two seasons, he's played just six games. And I'm counting the games against what it was, the Falcons where he left early. And was it the, was it the what was the game? I forget the other game. It was in midseason. Was it the Seahawks where he, he tried to come back from his core injury and only was able to play like half a, half a game or a handful of snaps and had to leave again? We're counting those two games. In a sense, Deshaun Jackson has played four games in his in, in in these last two seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles. And one of those games has been good. Right? He had, I mean, in the first game this year against Washington, he had two catches for 46 yards and then against the Rams he had six catches for 64 yards. Last week against Cincinnati, two catches for 11 yards before leaving with an injury. This is not the production they were hoping to get out of Deshaun Jackson. It has been an un... The Deshaun Jackson trade and signing, I know they only gave up a sixth rounder for him, and thank goodness for that, but it has been an unmitigated disaster. He's been awful since he came back. He's had the one good game, his first game back last year in the opener against Washington in Philadelphia. Since then, nothing. 
Nothing. And I know they tried to, you know, adding Jalen Rager and John Hightower, they added a couple of speed guys. They traded for Marquise Goodwin, and then Goodwin opts out of the, the 2020 season. Can't help that. But not going after Robbie Anderson it was 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 rough. I mean, I... I was I was all for Robbie Anderson. I was all for Brashad Perryman. I'll be I'll be the one. I'll perfectly admit that I you know I may have messed uh, missed on Brashad Perryman. There's still lots of season left to go, and maybe Deshaun Jackson just needs a week to get over his hamstring, and we'll come back after that firing. But something's been off with him all year, right? Even even in week one. It, when he wasn't on the field for large stretches of the game, there was something off. He had to he had to confirm after the game that he wasn't hurt. And Doug Peterson had to he basically said they were going with different packages and they're trying to they're trying to keep him on a pitch count. Well, a lot of good that did. Obviously, having Deshaun Jackson on a pitch count doesn't mean anything. Play the guy till he drops because he's going to drop. He's not going to be able to stay healthy for a full season. And so hopefully when they get Jalen Rager back, things will get a little bit better. I hold very little optimism that Alshon Jeffrey is going to provide any kind of stability. Same thing with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. But by the time those guys come back, by the time you get Jalen back and Dallas Goddard back, this season could could very well be over. And this this team could be in full-on sell mode. And that, that certainly seems the direction we're heading because you've got a 49ers team here that although I still think could take a step back this year, I'm not convinced this is a 49ers team that's going to make the playoffs this year because they play in a very, very tough NFC West. They are still much better than the Eagles right now, even as banged up as they are. And they are playing at home on Sunday night. Then you've got the Steelers, who are not playing this week because of a a COVID-19 outbreak with the Tennessee Titans. So they're going to have the added advantage of having a bye week this week heading into their their, their matchup against the Eagles next week. And then the Eagles have to go to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. So you're looking at a possibility of an 0-5-1 start. Guess what? You're selling at that point. You're selling Zach Ertz. You're selling Alshon. You're selling Deshaun if if they can play. You you're you might be selling Darius Slay. You you might be selling anybody you can possibly say. You're probably not selling Darius Slay. The cap hit would be ridiculous there. But you, you're going to be selling guys that you're not going to have to eat a tremendous cap hit for in order to try and get some draft picks. And then you got to hope the Eagles get a new general manager to, to make all those picks because the reason this team is failing right now is they have no young talent. They have drafted horribly. They have wasted draft picks. They have th- just thrown draft picks away with hubris. And I'm talking about the second and third round picks from this past year's draft, taking Jalen Hurts, a guy they did not need, and a guy who very well could be messing with Carson's head right now, not on purpose, but just his mere presence being here could be messing with Carson, be one of the issues going on there. And that's, you know, listen, that doesn't reflect well on Carson if that's the case. Carson's got to be mentally tough enough to deal with that. Nevertheless, you throw the whole locker room and you throw Carson into upheaval when you make that pick. And then number two, Davion Taylor, a total project linebacker that you're not going to have any use for this year. Those are draft picks that you make when you've got a stud-loaded roster, a Super Bowl-caliber roster full of young players, full of veterans just in their prime who are still ready to go to the Super Bowl every year and that was not this team that was not this team moving forward and you just look back at the first through fourth round picks that this team has had the last few years you have a a random hit here and there but for the most part they are they have drafted horribly and that has left this team with a bunch of aging veterans injury prone guys who are getting hurt and you have nothing in the cupboard. You, you're, that's why you're going to the practice squad and that's why you have nothing there you none of the draft picks that you have that you've that you've taken these last few years is able to help you continue to play well 
while these veterans are out. So it's a mess right now, guys. And I, I just think I, I think those comments by Doug Peterson where he can't articulate the identity of the offense. When your head coach, the guy who's calling the plays, cannot articulate the identity of the offense, that's a problem. And, of course, you have the injury situation, which is also another huge problem. Major headwinds for the Eagles on Sunday night in San Francisco. I was all set to pick the Eagles in this game. I really was. This felt like a game where the Eagles would would jump up out of the, out of the bushes and, and startle somebody. Because they did it last year going into, into the Green Bay Packers game. Uh, they've had a few different instances like that where they, they, they jump up and win a game they absolutely shouldn't. I'm reminded of the, uh, the Patriots game. I think it was back in, was it 2015? They went into New England and, and, and uh, shocked the Patriots by, by beating them in New England. Uh, they've had a few games like that over the last few years. Um, I, I think the, the Rams game in Los Angeles when uh, Carson Wentz got hurt in 2018 and Nick Foles came in and, and, basically, and stole a game in, in Los Angeles was another game like that. I was kind of foreseeing something like that happening, but I, I just can't in good conscience pick the Eagles with the roster that they have right now. There, there's just there's no way anyone with their right mind would not only just not pick the Eagles to, to come within the number, which I believe the, the 49ers are still a touchdown favorite at this point, seven-point favorite. I, I just, I, I don't see it, guys. I, I don't see, I mean, maybe the defense can keep things close. If the defensive tackles can get to, can, can get to Nick Mullins and, and knock him down, may, maybe I'll say the Eagles can at least get inside the number here when I'm making my pick. Because I, I, don't, I, don't I don't have a score in my head just yet. I really did want to pick the Eagles to win this game because it felt like a game, everybody's counting them out, and we've seen Doug and Carson and the Eagles pull out wins in situations like that before. I wasn't quite ready to write off the 2020 season just yet. You go to 03 and 1, you're not making the playoffs. I don't care how the rest of the division is, you're not making the playoffs. But I just can't pick the Eagles to win this game on Sunday, guys. I just can't do it. There's too many things going wrong. There's too many there there are too many different uh headwinds facing this team and it just doesn't seem like they have the horses to be able to keep up with the defending NFC champs. So, I think this is going to be I think this is going to be inside a touchdown game, but I think you're looking at 49ers, let's say 49ers 27, Eagles 23. We'll go, we'll go 49ers 27, Eagles 23. A couple of field goals and a couple of touchdowns, uh, but the 49ers end up winning this thing. And I, I don't know that it's going to be a really stressful win for the 49ers, but it'll it'll likely be close most of the way. Uh, the Eagles, will, it'll probably be one of those frustrating games where the Eagles have a couple of chances at the end of the game, but never really come, never really threaten to score the winning touchdown to, to, to give themselves a victory here. So I see a four point win for the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night. And I just hope we see, I just hope we see a better performance from Carson Wentz. But again, with an offense that has no identity, when you're trying to strip it down, when you've got five different coaches yelling in his ear and you've got a set of wide receivers that might be, for this week anyway, the worst in the NFL. It's really hard to expect much from Carson Wentz here on Sunday night. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Kyle Posey from Niners Nation for joining me. Don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com every single day for the latest Eagles news and information. All of the writers we have there are doing fantastic work. And uh, don't forget to check out every podcast we have on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and leave a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I will talk to you next week here on Eye on the Enemy. B-G-N.
first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, mom. No. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.